rejected Christ. The crucifixion in this moment is meant to illustrate what is universally true. All of us are guilty in life except Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is willing to extend forgiveness for all our sins, even those sins of which we have no knowledge. Another of these seven last words is Jesus' response to one of the thieves being crucified beside him. The thief has asked that Jesus remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus responds, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here again, we see the extravagant mercy of Christ receiving a deathbed confession of sorts. We also see in this the way that Jesus welcomes our little mustard seeds of faith and turns them into something much greater. You see, the, the man, the thief, simply asked that Jesus would remember him. Jesus takes this small request and grants him something much better. He will join Christ in paradise that very day. This is the way it is with Christ. His response to our faith is much greater than our faith. There's also the rich promise here, a paradise that is to be found immediately following our death. Today, you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says. And we all know deep within ourselves that we are created for some kind of paradise, not a tropical island per se, but a place of innocence, of love, and of communion. The beginning of the creation, of God's creation, was this kind of paradise. And Christ on the cross is reopening the path to this paradise. Now, one of these seven last words of Christ is to his mother and to the beloved disciple. We heard it in the full reading of the Passion narrative just a minute ago. The beloved disciple, by the way, we need to be aware of this. He's never named for us. That's intentional because he's meant to represent all disciples, all of us, as Christ's beloved. This name of the beloved disciple is an invitation to all of us. Follow Christ and become his beloved disciple yourself. From the cross, Jesus says to Mary, his mother, woman, behold your son. And she points to the, he points to the extended can to the beloved disciple and to the beloved disciple, son, behold your mother. Now, this phrase, this saying of Christ doesn't immediately strike us as holding the same depth as the others that I've just spoken about. But I want to, by reflecting on it for a few minutes, show you that there's more here than meets the eye. We actually find within this phrase the way of discipleship to Jesus. Discipleship to Jesus comes through love and through a broken heart. Let me explain this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, begins her own discipleship to Jesus with her availability to God. You will bear a son by the Holy Spirit, an angel tells her. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, replies Mary. Let it be to me according to your word. Jesus is born, but Mary immediately receives all kinds of signs indicating that her son doesn't belong entirely to her. Shepherds come to worship this child. A royal party arrives from the east bringing gifts as they would to a king, and they too worship. 
Mary and Joseph then take Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to God. They're met by elderly saints who receive the infant Christ as the long-awaited fulfillment of God's promise. And one of these saints, Simeon, tells Mary, or perhaps rather he warns her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. How these words must have echoed in Mary's mind the rest of her life. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. Something would pierce her, but he's indicating that it would also pierce her son. Instead of receiving her son, Mary is being prepared to lose him. Like all mothers with their children, Mary would have to go through the difficult process of learning to let her son go his own way, letting him grow up, become independent. But Mary would have to do this in a unique way. Because even from the time her son was young, there was always a higher allegiance that held sway over hers in Jesus' life. The next time that we hear of Jesus, he's 12 years old. The family is traveling in a caravan. Jesus is assumed to be with family or with friends, as often happens in caravans. But after searching for him for three days, they finally discover him at the temple. By the way, we should wonder whether these three days in which Jesus is lost as a child are a foreshadowing of the three days in which he would be lost in the grave. The child Jesus, when he's found, asks his parents, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, in, in case we're tempted to think that Jesus is disrespectful of his parents, we're immediately told that he returned home and was submissive to them. Twice in these stories of Jesus' childhood, Mary is said to treasure up all these things in her heart. This is what mothers do, isn't it? They treasure the memories of their children. But in addition to that normal treasuring, Mary as a young mother is wondering what all the prophecies and faithful devotion of her son are going to mean for her and what it will mean for him. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. All her life, Mary prepares for a broken heart. The next interaction we hear about is when Jesus is an adult. They're at a wedding. The wine runs out. Mary reports this to Jesus, to which Jesus responds, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And despite his curt reply, Mary tells the servants, Do whatever he tells you. The fact that Mary says this tells us she's aware of a particular mission that Jesus has. And not only that she's aware of it, but she supports it. Do whatever she, he tells you, she says to the servants. Mary, like all mothers, can see what is deep within her child. And despite some awareness that it will cost her great pain, she is one of the first to endorse Jesus' mission, to call out what is within him. She says to others, do whatever he tells you. She encourages Jesus himself toward that hour that would be his glory and the glory of God. Now, once Jesus becomes well-known, the mother-child relationship between Mary and Jesus would become even more painful for her 
So one day, Jesus is teaching a crowd. And Mary and Jesus' brothers come looking for him. They're not able to reach him through the crowd, so they send word to Jesus through the crowd. And Jesus responds, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. How could a comment like this, no matter how true it is, not cause some pain in the heart of a mother? There was another day when an exuberant woman in a crowd cried out to Jesus, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. It's a high compliment to Mary, but Jesus immediately corrects the woman. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As Jesus's mission and his hour of glory advance, Mary fades. But then, here at the cross, she stands beside him again at his death, a mother and her child. And here Mary learns, and we learn, what it means to truly be available to God. Remember that fateful day when she said to the angel, let it be according to your word. Here we see that availability to God is letting him have his way, even when it brings us to the foot of the cross. For those who are available, life is at God's disposal. It is kept in readiness for whatever he may be up to. So Jesus said to Mary on the, from the cross, woman, behold your son. Son, to the beloved disciple, behold your mother. These are not trivial last words of Jesus. Jesus would not waste last words, would he? Mary had been letting go of her son her whole life. And here Jesus says that her sacrifice is not forgotten. And she's receiving another son. But there's something even more profound here. The beloved disciple is meant to stand for all of us in our relationship to Jesus. We are all to come to him and become his beloved. Mary and her availability to God and her discipleship to Jesus through love and through a broken heart becomes the mother of all those who are conformed to the image of Jesus. An example of faithful surrender and discipleship to Jesus. Set aside concerns here about the worship of Mary. She's not divine, but she is a preeminent example of what it means to follow our Lord. The way of discipleship to Jesus is through love and through a broken heart. It's not surprising then that the beloved disciple who was there that day and became the child, the son of Mary, speak. He, he later writes in 1 John, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The cross of Jesus, as much as it forgives our sins and he bears our sins in it, it calls us in our daily lives deeper into love. We cannot flinch at everyday acts of love, at radical acts of love, doing these acts for others or having them done for us. Unfortunately, 
even those of us in the church struggle to receive sacrificial love because it makes us feel lesser. Yet, this is what Christ gives us and what he calls us to give each other. And at the same time, to love anything truly or anyone means being open to having your heart broken. Like Mary, we can trust that this is the place that we will find God in the place of a broken heart. So let's draw near to Christ's love in the cross and draw near especially in the places that your heart already hurts. For these are the places of Christ's deepest love for you. This is why he suffered on your behalf so that you might know his love in the depths of your being and be able to share that love. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.